It's always good to be here at Cornerstone. It's my uh, home away from home. And uh, I don't know how many years I've been preaching here. I think it's been at least 15 years uh, continually. Uh, and I just want to just tell you, I have so much joy when I minister to you. And I hope the joy that I have for you and for our Lord shines through this, this message. Well, I always like to share with you uh, things that have occurred in my life so that you're up to date with me. And this is the 2017 uh, version of Jeff. I spoke uh, last year uh, a number of times. Well, nothing really exciting has happened. I just want to tell you that. Uh, I'll just tell you the, the hijinks of the last three, of the last, uh, let's say, week. Okay. Well, the first major thing is that I am 99% finished with my kitchen remodeling. And the thing is, is what, what, what was happening here? I said, look, I moved into the, where we're living, it's near uh, SFO, in 1992. So it's 25 years. And I've freshened up the kitchen with like $100, you know, hundreds of dollars worth of, of fixing and things like that. But uh, every quarter of a century, you got to go big. Okay. And when you go big and it intersects with a Kia's 20% discount off all kitchen cabinets, you know it is the will of God. Okay. And uh, so uh, we, uh, we took advantage of the 20%. And I used my Costco card and got an extra 2% off. Uh, you know, you got you, you, you to have, in these, in these days, you got to have your dollar go wide, you know, uh, stretch further. Okay. So I'm near done with that. This is a lot of burn. It took months to do months of this. But you know what? It's okay. I was a carpenter when I was much younger, and uh, I'm in control of this, you know. The, the cabinets don't fight back, okay? <laughs> if I make a mistake, it's my mistake, okay? It's when cabinets, if the cabinets have faces and talk to me, then I'm in trouble, okay? I'm in control, they don't fight back. This week, uh, past week, I went to the dentist. I'm going to the same dentist since 1990, since I moved to San Francisco. And so it's the, your, your basic teeth cleaning, you know, I have a Delta Dental, they have with them two times a year I go for the cleaning, you know. But there's a little added sort of problem here. In my older age, my teeth are chipping and cracking. I don't know what's happening, you know. It's like it's cracked. It's like two of them. And then the front. Who cares about the back ones? You know, no one sees that, you know? But it's the front ones. It's the ones on the right, the front, the, the, not the front ones, but the front one and the one right next to it, okay? I don't know what you call it. The little tooth next to the big one, you know? <laughs> but it's no problem. It's no problem. They just put this like dental bondo stuff on it, and then they get this like orange little light thing that they shine on you, and all of a sudden it's like, hey, look, it's even, it's even better. My smile is even better. You know, it's like, it's, 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 all, it's all fixed. And, you know, every 10 years they got to redo it. But it's no problem, right? I got Delta Dental, you know? I mean, it's, 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 it's wonderful. It's wonderful, you know? And so, you know, it's not a burden. It's just your wear and tear of life. I'm getting, getting older, you know? But I got to stop my bite chewing on ice, you know, uh, habit. You know, that's, that's not good for old teeth, you know? Now, the biggest hijinks that happened this week was uh, this week my, my, my iPhone 6 was going on the fritz. Man, I had to restore back up like four times. I was getting no service. Okay, I don't know about you, but you know, the days when you had landlines, you didn't have to worry about this, you know? Now your cell phone goes on the fritz, 
Oh man, or you lose your cell phone. Oh wow, you know what's what's happened to your world? You know, you you, you might as well become a hermit, live in a cave. You know, you don't can't do anything. You know. So I was on the customer service online and stuff. They tried to send me a, a, a SIM chip and stuff like that to try to fix it. And then I, they couldn't fix. So all week I went to the Verizon store. Okay, I'm a Verizon customer. Okay, they said, "Oh wow, your your cell phone's broken." And because uh, I had a six, and they were prone to bending. And he put it on the table. He says, yours bend. You see, it's like this. He says, yeah, I have a problem. I, I don't put in a product. I sit on it all the time. You know, we could tell, you know. And you need to lose some weight, Jeff, because it's like really the bend is pretty bad there, you know. So I get a new phone. I get the smaller form. And, and, and you know, it's like, wow, man, this costs money. You know, because iPhones are, are not, not, not cheap, you know. But they have easy installment payments. $15 a month for 24 months. I said, you can't, you can't go wrong with this, you know? It's so, you know, yeah, it's a hassle. Do I get upset, worried about it? Look, there's more important things in life than get upset about. It's $15, and I'm in control. I'm in control of this thing, you know? They don't like I'll go to Sprint or something, you know? And, and you know, it's just it's only $15. This is the normal wear and tear of life that all of us have to deal with. Inconveniences, but you have control of. But every so often, we will get into situations that, that are much deeper and darker. You say, what do you mean by that, Jeff? I try to explain to people descriptively what it means when we're in a deeper, darker situation. And I boil it down to uh, some principles. It's when you no longer have control of your life. That's sort of a really bad feeling. You're not in a good place and you're not in control over it or you feel overwhelmed by people or the situation. It's very, very bad. And every one of us will face that type of dark situation. I don't have control. I see no solution in the foreseeable future. I just finished my semester at seminary. And my last class was a group of uh, senior students who are about to graduate. And the class is very interesting. It's sort of like a, a summary type of class, reviewing things. And, piecing things together. And they get to choose from a list of questions I, I have of what they want to talk about. So we talked about a few questions about ministry, about life. And then I had about 15 minutes left. And, they, and I, I said to them, well, you know, it's a little too early for, for you for, to dismiss you. So choose a question, and I'll just answer it. We won't discuss it. They said, they all agreed. There's about 10 students. They said, we want the one that says, what are the sin and problems that ministers face as they minister for Christ? And I said to them, you, you should have chose a harder one. This is a no-brainer. And I said, depression. And then I went on to explain how sometimes ministry, what makes it so complicated, it's hard to change things. It takes a long time to transform people. Sometimes you can't please everybody. And sometimes... It's just not as satisfying as you thought it would be, but you're kind of caught because you just can't leave and change jobs. And I said, yeah, and then fifth, you can't tell anybody because you're the pastor. You gotta be the happiest, man. And then after the class ended, about six students came up to me and personally thanked me for bringing this up because they all share with me they're going through the same thing. And these are younger people, not, my, not old guys like me, you know. They still have their real teeth, you know. 
sadness, depression, experience people in ministry, it'll come upon everyone in life in some time in your journey, maybe once, definitely once, twice, three times. Sometimes it's financial. If you're in the Bay Area and you're a relatively new person in the Bay and you've come for the lucrative jobs in high tech or bio, the uh, you know, uh, biotech industry or some other field that you, you're doing very well, they're paying, you, they're, they're paying you a lot. The average Google worker gets, a, the starting gets $150,000. For every one of those, you have people who did not, who, who are perhaps more original residents and don't get that but you still live in a place where that's what it takes to live here. And so you have one half that have and another half that have not. And that's a very bad feeling to have if you have a have not, okay? Especially if you have friends and relatives in the area and you love the Bay Area. It's not a good feeling, it's not a good feeling. Some of it's health. I've had my own bouts of health. Teeth cracking is, is, is the easy thing. I always share it. I have rheumatoid, not rheumatoid arthritis, I have an autoimmune disorder that mimics rheumatoid arthritis. And the Lord was very gracious to me. I had dealt with it seven years. And if you deal with a chronic illness that's very bad, you know how you feel about it. Okay? And I'll tell you one of the worst things about it. If you have a chronic disability where you're not bleeding, no one knows you have it and you don't get any sympathy. Better that you have a broken bone and bleeding, you know? Better you, they, they, they chop off part of your head, you know? Then you get sympathy, you know? Autoimmune, who are you, man? By making it up. Sometimes it's physical. Sometimes it's relational. In relationships, you know, men and women were born, most of us, as social beings. And so when that bond is not perfect and is no longer there. It hurts us because not that we, you know, we're weird and it hurts us because we're weird people. We're ultra sensitive, you know? No, we're, we're social creatures. And it really, it really pains us when that happens. And it sometimes puts us in a very dark place because we feel that it's out of our control. Nothing worse than when you can't control it. There's nothing I can do. It's not $15 a month, man. It's not bondo on your teeth paid by dental, Delta Dental, you know. So what do we do as believers? What does God have for us? Because we were all in this journey of uh, inconvenience, uh, 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 nuisances, but also deep and darker places. In order to deal with this and to talk about what God would have for us, I've chosen a really interesting psalm, Psalm 88. And when uh, Terry told me, that they're going to do the psalm series. This psalm came to my mind because I said, to, said I want to choose the hardest psalm, uh, 88. You know what makes 88 the hardest? You say, well, 88's a lucky number. You know, I'm Chinese. 88 is, is a lucky number, you know. Everyone knows 88 is a, Chinese love 88, you know. Uh, we don't love four, but we love eight, you know. 88's the absolute worst psalm, you know. What, 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 a, what a slap on the Chinese culture here, you know? Uh, this is, you know what makes it the worst? There's 150 psalms, 
149 of them have hope in them. Most of them are laments, but even in laments, there's hope because ultimately the psalmist has hope in the deliverance of God. Okay? 149 of the 150, except one. Bingo. 88. It is the most hopeless psalm ever. So much that if you ever read it, you wonder why in the world is it in the Bible? So painful, you know? So painful. But I believe embedded in the words is a great, a great hope that shines forth. And I hope you see it too. We're going to do this sermon in basically two parts. I'm going to just kind of read through it and give my thoughts on this so that you understand how the psalmist is sort of like fleshing out this uh, poem. It goes like this. Verse 1. O Lord, the God of my salvation, I have cried out by day and in the night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry. Now, this doesn't distinguish Psalm 88 from the rest of the Psalms. Because most of the Psalms, the lament ones, but then most of them were lament, are wrapped around prayers and petitions, requests made to God because they're in trouble. And this is just like most of the other Psalms. Then we continue with verse 3, which talks about the depth of the trouble. Verse 3, for my soul has had enough troubles and my life has drawn near to Sheol. I am reckoned among those who go down to the pit. I've become like a man without strength, forsaken among the dead, like the slain who lie in the grave. Okay. That's pretty serious, at least what the person is experiencing. He is using death metaphor. Hope you caught it. Pit, grave, dead, slain. I mean, he's using like every synonym. You know, run over by a car, roadkill. You know, I mean, it's like he's, because he's going to make you feel, I'm dying, and you might as well count me as dead. That's quite frank. I was a pastor and still minister to people, pastor over a quarter century. If you came to me and said, you know what? I feel like dying. I'd say to you, you need some help, man. Because um, you're, 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 you're really depressed, man. You're like dying, you feel like you're dead? Slain? <laughs> that's really, that's really, that's, and, and it tells about the honest state. I said, why, do you this? Why, is that even this? why is even this in the scripture, you know? It's very, very honest. Some of us feel like that right now. I'm in the church this side, a few of you. I'm dying. But you're not bleeding. but you feel you're near dead. That is not what differentiates this psalm, though, from the other 149. The psalmist continues, and with verse um, 6, we now get what makes this psalm a little bit different. 
And I'm going to focus your attention on how the psalmist puts the blame. You see, in other psalms, the blame is cast upon the individual. I made a boo-boo. I suffer the consequence of the boo-boo, but you are forgiving God. Option A, okay? God is a forgiving God. He forgives boo-boos, okay? Option B, I'm doing the will of God. People don't like doing the will of God, so they're attacking me. So the problem isn't me doing the boo-boo. The problem is other people. Option B, okay? This option C is weird. For option C, and I will read, you have put me in the lowest pit, in the dark places, in the depth. Your wrath has rested upon me, and you have afflicted me with all your waves. It's not me. It's not you. It is God. This is really weird. For it's option C. The one to blame for my problem is you, God. Your wrath has rested upon me, and you have afflicted me with all your waves. You have removed my acquaintances far from me, and you have made me an object of loathing to them. I am shut up and cannot go out. My eyes wasted away because of the affliction. I have called upon you every day. I've spread out my hands to you. Now, this is where you get some separation of Psalm 88. There's a bit of anger toward God here, which theologically should not be. You know, he's a loving God. But I'll tell you something. I've been around the block as a believer and as a pastor. I'm going to say something that I know is near sacrilegious. There will be times in the, as a believer walks in God that they will, we will not understand what's happening in our lives and we will be angry at him. I wish it never, I wish it didn't happen. But every so often, you're going to be blindsided by something and you're going to be praying and it's not your to blame, though in a sense, you know, yeah, yeah, but, you know, it's always a little bit of you, you know. And it's not other people, but God has placed you somewhere, and it's like, I, I can't take it anymore. I'm dying. Get me out of here. Your wrath is placed upon me. It's very dark. Because the adversary, and that might be too harsh of a word, the source of the anguish is God himself. Oh, ah, we're getting some separation of Psalm 88. How deep and dark this thing is. Then in verse 10 comes what I think is the critical center of this psalm. It's a series of rhetorical questions. Rhetorical questions, there is no answer needed, but the answer is known when you read it, even without verbally giving an answer. And the rhetorical questions come in verses 10 and 11 and 12. Will you perform wonders for the dead? No. Will the departed spirits rise and praise you? 
No. Will your loving kindness be declared in the grave and your faithfulness in Abaddon? No. Will your wonders be made known in the darkness and your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? No. The rhetorical question is at the center of it. And in the time of the revelation of what God was revealing to his people, look, this is this life, man. Life is precious to me. And I believe in God, and I believe in a God that's very powerful, that overarching, looks over me. But I've checked my life, and it's not me. Why is your wrath resting upon me? Oh, verse 13, as a new complaint against God. Verse 13, but I, O Lord, have cried out to you for help, and in the morning my prayers come before you. Okay, he's doing the prayer. Look at verse 14. O Lord, why do you reject my soul? Why do you hide your face from me? Then verse 15, I was afflicted and about to die from my youth on. This is chronic, over a decade. I suffer your terrors, I am overcome. Your burning anger has passed over me since I was a youth. Your terrors have destroyed me. They have surrounded me like water all day long. I feel like I'm drowning. They have encompassed me altogether. And finally, 18, you have removed lover and friend far from me. My acquaintances are in darkness. Yeah, there should be a verse 19, 20. But in this, I praise you in the temple because you are God almighty and you are worthy of all praise. So forgive me what I said. No, it just ends with, it's such a strangest, it's like, what's going on here? Person's very, very upset with God. How does this work? It could be one of the most depressing things you ever read in Scripture. But one of the things I want to show you before we talk about how to apply this thing is where this thing ultimately ends up. You see, in a way, Psalm 88 was written by a real person experiencing a real thing set in corporate worship that they experienced real suffering as a nation of Israel. It was real, okay? Individually real, corporately real. But actually, Psalm 88 has a trajectory beyond. And you don't see it unless you see verse 10, 11, and 12 as the center of this psalm where there's a bunch of rhetorical questions. Look, will you perform wonders for the dead? No. Will the departed spirits rise and praise you? No. Because this is all that's life. There's a series of abandonment, unanswered prayer, depression that we sense. There is no solution in Psalm 88. I got to tell you, in the Psalm itself, there is no solution. You might as well die and get over with. Until we read the Gospels and we understand Christ and why he came. Flashed in the screen above me will be four passages from the Gospel of Mark. The first one is Mark 14. Every day I was with you in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me, but as this has taken place to fulfill the scripture, and they left him and fled. Okay, so what's going on here? This is when Jesus is betrayed. 
prior to his crucifixion. He's betrayed by Judas with a kiss, you know. They come to arrest him. Jesus says, why did you, why this time? You could have kept, you could have gotten me any, any other time, you know, but now you're doing it. And that last line, and they le all left and fled him. What is this? When he said that all, all the, like the, 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 the guards, like they ran away, you know, no, no, no. And they all left and fled were the disciples. Judas was the one who betrayed, so we take out him. There's 11 others, 11 disciples fled. The second passage is also Mark 14, verse 72. Immediately, a rooster crowed a second time, and Peter remembered how Jesus had made the remark to him, before a rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times, and he began to weep. Now, what's this? You have the disciples, 12, and then you have the disciple. Peter was the disciple. He was the one who swore he would never forsake or deny Jesus Christ. He would never run away from Jesus. The others could, but not the disciple. And here in Mark 14, you have the disciple denying Jesus. Wow. Next chapter, Mark 15. The crowd went up and began asking him to do as he had been accustomed to do for them. Pilate answered them, saying, Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? For he was aware that the chief priests had handed him over because of envy. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd to ask him to release Barabbas for them instead. Now, now some of you may be familiar with this episode. Others may not. Basically, Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor, understands that Jesus is being railroaded by leaders. So he, he, he tries to have a way out. So he says, I know what I'll do. I can give a pardon. I bring up two people, and they get to choose. The people will get to choose. It overrides the leaders, you know? It's, it's like a democratic vote, you know? So he says, I'll stack the deck. I'm going to put Jesus, someone they all love, compassionate, tells it like it is, but very loving. And I'll put, and, I, and, I'll, and I'll, the other one will be a known criminal. Yeah, stack the deck, Anna. And they choose the known criminal, man. The people that Jesus was to deliver reject him for a known criminal. Uh, you can see how, how, how stacked this was. Now, when I was young, that's many years ago, okay, I'm talking many, many years ago, when I was like taller, okay, <laughs> I used to play basketball, street basketball. Those feared New York street basketball players. That's not me, okay? Uh, I'm a little too short, can't jump. I can't dribble with my left hand, okay? Which means no NBAs, no NBA for you. Not even D-League, okay? Not even college, high school, okay? So it's like saying to the Warriors, you get to choose your next player. On my right is Steph Curry. On my left is Jeff Louie. <laughs> Who do you want? We want Jeff. We want Jeff. You, what, are you, what are you crazy, man? The stack, man, it's Steph Curry, man. Look, I, I can't even drill with my left hand. I can't even jump, you know? What do you, what do you, because it's stacked. No way is Jesus going to get out of this. 
His disciples flee, the disciples deny, and then his people, they want the crook. Ultimate rejection. Next passage in the book of Mark, chapter 15. At the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama shakatani, which is translated, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Okay. This is the final, uh, I don't want to say rejection. But that's the only word I can think about. His Father, God. And Jesus knows it. Why have you rejected me? I'm your son, deliver me. Everyone has left. And you have forsaken me. See, in a sense, Psalm 88, it was written by a human being reflecting human experience to which every one of us here has some part that we can tie and grab a hold on because we experience things like this sometime in our life. But Psalm 88 has a greater trajectory and a greater goal, and the next slide will, will come. Christ was the ultimate fulfillment of Psalm 88. You have to understand this. That was for whatever is happening, the gospel writers, especially Mark, was framing the narrative so that you know that Jesus was rejected by everybody, even by his father. I don't know if I'd say reject. I'd just use the word forsaken, which is tough enough, isn't it? You say, why? It all revolves around verses 10, 11, and 12. The series of rhetorical questions. I will read them again. Will you perform wonders for the dead? Will the departed spirits rise and praise you? Will your loving kindness be declared in the grave and the faithfulness so in Abaddon? Will your wonders be known in darkness and your righteousness in the land of the forgetful? In Psalm 88, it is no. That's why you got to answer me now, Lord. Because what good is it if I'm dead? To which Christ changed the whole narrative, man. Because that which was assumed to be no in Psalm 88 becomes yes in Christ. Because all the suffering we experience because of a fallen world, Christ experienced as the perfect Son of God so that we may be redeemed so that we can have the narrative changed in our lives. It's an incredible psalm when you understand how it fits in the whole path of Jesus Christ. From a moment of doubt comes now Romans chapter 8, verses 37 to 39. But in all things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death 
nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. In Christ, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord, comes the ability for the believer to understand The love of God for us is inseparable to us in Christ. And it changes the whole narrative of suffering. And this is why I want to end the message in terms of application. Some of you are new believers in this journey and are learning prayer and are very excited about this series on Psalms because it's much about expression. This Psalm 88 reinforces that God really loves honesty. Man. And one of the issues of Christianity is sometimes we play a game with people and we have to pretend to be better than we are and you die wallow in your suffering because you can't explain it to anybody. Look, if I'm a pastor, someone's like Psalm 88, what are you doing in my church, man? Christ is saying, you know what? I've come to redeem you. You're welcome. For others, you are in some midst of sadness. Maybe not in this depth. What you need to do is recast and understand and focus upon the work of Jesus Christ in your life. And to understand the love will triumph over the suffering and that all suffering has its plan and purpose to make us better and to make us more faithful and more reflective of God in our lives. But there will be others here who, just like the psalmist, are angry with God. And I wish we didn't exist. But Christians cannot be angry with God except in front of a therapist. No, you can't say it at church. We might even doubt you're, you're, you're a Christian. How can you doubt? How can you, how can you be angry at God, man? It's absurd. Look, I've been a pastor over 25 years. I'm a Christian for uh, 54 years. I know people get angry at God. I know it. And if you're in that situation where you've lost control and you're angry at him, you need to reframe that anger and reframe how you see God. You have to separate the situation from who God is himself, from the one who places you in untenable situations to one whose ultimate goal through Jesus Christ, who bore all the suffering for everyone in this room and in this world, to demonstrate his love for us. So you need to reframe and recast how you view God from an angry God who bears his wrath upon you to a loving God who demonstrated that love through Christ, who changed the narrative. You still need to do what you need to do in life. But the whole aspect of who God is, is he hateful, is he loving? Or maybe you need to recast that. And you say, how did he love me? 
No greater love can one ever demonstrate than to have the Son of God die for you. Maybe we need to recast. Others, you may not be a follower of God and say, why do I need to believe in a God that's so old school, you know, ancient, you know? I'll tell you what. Because the world needs this. The world's a mess. We are messes. We need to deliver inside out that sends us into the next world to reframe how we view life and deal with our issues. We will be people always burdened with sadness. The older you are, the more you understand this. But for the believer in Christ, sadness is never to be hopelessness. And there I draw a line. I experience pain in life. But Christ is my hope because he conquered the grave. And in a strange way, he loves me more than even I do myself. And if you can understand that, you will understand the grace of God and that how that will change how you view your faith. Allow me to pray for you. My Heavenly Fathers, Heavenly Father, wherever we are in life, I'm especially pray for those who are in darkness, that through Christ you give us a peace that passeth all understanding through Jesus Christ, and you lift us up, and in a moment we see your grace and we see your love and we see you different, Lord. And in you, your great love and peace and mercy toward us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.